Hey, thank, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm so glad that you're all here, especially if you're watching online. I hope that uh, you're not sleeping the tryptophan off still. Hopefully, you'll be able to stay awake through all of this. Anyway, it's good to see everyone here. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I uh, serve on the pastoral staff and... I'm praying that you find something meaningful today because that's ultimately what our goal is, is that you would have some kind of meaningful connection with God because I think God has something meaningful for you. I'm just gonna say that, okay? I really believe that. Now, here's a question I wanna start with today. Do you remember when you were a kid, for those of you who are adults, um, waiting for Christmas? Do you remember waiting? Do you remember it? Do you remember waiting for Christmas Day. And the thing that we were waiting for the most, of course, was presents, right? And Santa, and it was all exciting, and we got all giddy about it. And the, the, the thing that I remember the most as a kid growing up, uh, and by the way, Christmas for me was, a, uh, was very special because I'm an only child. So you do the math, that might explain a lot of things to you, and some of you are going, uh, yeah, that's why. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, but the thing that I remember is I look forward to our Christmas Eve service uh, at the church that I grew up in, and then Christmas morning, and there were certain rituals that we did and, you know, every single year, and we got excited about it. Um, the problem, the problem with it all was the fact that December, I am convinced, is the slowest month of the year. Do you know what I mean? It just, like, you know, it's not molasses in January. It's molasses in December, because December just took forever. I know there's only 25 days, but I swear when I was a kid, I'd look at the calendar on December 3rd, and a week later, I would look back at the calendar, and it was only December 4th. I didn't understand that. Time just started. That's why Santa could do it all in one night, because the month was slower. That's it. There's a logic to all of this. It's exciting. It just took forever to get there. And nowadays, as I've gotten older, it comes a lot quicker. Have you noticed that, parents? <laughs> it's like, am I going to get everything done? And the days just kind of go by so fast. I guess it's all a matter of perspective. <clears throat> but this is the um, first week in Advent. And this is the season where we get ready um, for Christmas Day. And we're marking time until Christmas Day. And the word, actually, Advent, means arrival or coming. And that implies waiting. And I want you to think about that. When you're um, thinking about something that's coming, you're waiting, right? Those, those two things go hand in hand. And so what we'll do is we'll light candles um, and we'll mark the time every single week just to remind us that we're moving closer and closer to that day. In many respects, um, we use this time to empathize a little bit with ancient Israel. And we're going to talk about that today because they were waiting for a Messiah, much like we are. In December, we commemorate that. There are these ancient prophecies that talked about one who would come and one who would save and restore the throne of David, Israel's greatest king. There's prophecies about that. 
I want to talk about those a little bit. And so let me just share just a couple of them with you. Um, they may be familiar to you, especially if you grew up in the church. You've probably heard these before. But if not, here you go. They're mostly from the, the book of Isaiah. Here it is in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and uh, will call him Emmanuel. This, one's gonna be, this uh, prophecy is going to become very important when we talk about Mary later on. Very interesting how all of these things fit together. But that's uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Here's chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but I could use a little Prince of Peace right now, right? I think we all could. And then Isaiah chapter 11, of the greatness of his government, oh sorry, this is Isaiah 9, sorry, there's the other part of this verse. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Oh my goodness, I wish for a leader like that. Now what's interesting is that all of this was prophesied when Israel was in a lot of trouble. When the whole nation was in trouble. Actually, it was one part of the nation. So after King Solomon, you might rem remember that name, the, the kingdom split. And in the north it was called Israel, in the south it was called Judah, and this was all prophesied to Judah. All of these things were said when Judah was in trouble, the southern Jewish kingdom. You see, God had a very serious complaint against his people. Um, they were unfaithful, and judgment was coming upon them. They had broken the covenant. Remember that thing that they kind of decided they were going to do at Mount Sinai when they got freed from Egypt? Yeah. They had broken that many times. Religion was empty. They were just going through the motions. And there was a threat from the north. Assyria overran Israel, their northern brothers and sisters, and now it was a threat to Judah. All of this is going on in the midst of international intrigue as Assyria was ultimately at war with Egypt in the south and the convenient place for them to fight was Israel or Judah. So you've got all of these moving parts that are going on. You've got all of these things that, that this ancient people group did wrong and God had this complaint against them and and yet, and yet, in the midst of all of those complaints, there are these little bits of prophecy of hope. A hope of a Messiah, of someone who would come, who would set things right. Isn't that amazing? That despite the fact that Israel, the Israelites had blown it so many times, times, and they were probably going to suffer some consequences from that, yet God still spoke hope to his people. 
That in and of itself is an, an amazing thing. And that's one of the reasons why we celebrate this time of year is because there's always this message of hope. The last prophet in the Old Testament, um, Malachi, he's the Italian prophet. No, Malachi is his name, right? Just kidding. Yeah, I knew that, I knew that. Uh, Malachi um, made, a, made a very interesting prophecy. And I wanna read a couple of these things to you. This is in Malachi chapter three. He says, or he writes, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me, uh, prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then at the very end, chapter four of this small prophetic work, God says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Prophet Elijah, an interesting Elijah, who we'll read about here in a moment. Elijah. So the children of Israel waited. They waited because these prophecies were spoken probably around 400 BC. And so Israel waited 400 years. And you thought four weeks was a long time. For 400 years, no prophet in Israel spoke for God. No prophet. That's what they were used to. They needed not just a king, but a prophet to lead them. And now, there was no prophet for 400 years. No idea what the voice would be like or when, but God's prophets spoke and and now they weren't speaking, and so the people speculated on what kind of Messiah this would be, and they waited and waited and waited. Hmm. And in that time, what's interesting, from, from Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, there's this um, kind of shifting of power that goes on within ancient Israel. So first, um, Israel was uh, taken by the Assyrians, and then Judah was taken eventually by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were eventually taken by the Persians, and then the Persians were eventually taken by the Greeks, a man named Alexander the Great. And then there's this small period of self-rule where there was a, another Israelite king who took the throne, had a small dynasty. And the people got so fed up with that that quite literally when Rome came knocking at the door, they threw open the city gates because at least Rome was stable. And that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of the New Testament with Rome occupying the land of Israel. 400 years, no prophet spoke for God to his people. In fact, scholars call this the silent years completely silent from God. And all of these shifting things, all of things occurring as they are um, taken and retaken and they are occupied and reoccupied over and over and over again. We see this constantly. And then, one day, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. It's a strange detail, isn't it? It's a little odd here. Now, this is from Mark chapter one and Mark is is likely the earliest of all the gospels written. And in fact, most believe it's Peter's gospel. Peter um, transmitted this to John Mark who wrote it down And so there are little details that we find in Mark that we don't find elsewhere, but this just seems like a very strange detail to add. What he wore and the kinds of things that that he ate, but he was was a fiery kind of guy. If you read some of the words that that John the Baptist used, I mean, he he was an agitator. He liked poking the bears with sticks. That was kind of his thing. And he lived a very simple life and, and, of course, noted his clothes, which, again, is just odd. But here's why. And this is the part that I want you to see. There's a story where there was a king. Um, he wasn't a very good king of Israel. And uh, he was doing something foolish. And the text tells us that he, he fell through the lattice that shaded the upper part of his palace. Now, what was he doing up there? Don't you wonder? But it was kind of a foolish thing to do, and he injured himself quite badly. And so he sent a group of emissaries to inquire from the god Baal if he would survive. And on his way, or on the way, the emissary is met by a man. And that man says to them, is there no no God in Israel that you would have to inquire of Baal and not Yahweh? If you go through with this inquiry that you're going to make, you go back and tell him that he will never get off that bed. And so... The emissaries did what they were told, which is strange. But they went back and the king said, are you back already? And they said, yeah, we were met by a man. Explained what this man had said. And I want you to pick up the story here in 2 Kings. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? And they replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. And all of a sudden, in Mark chapter 1, Malachi is fulfilled. 400 years later. 400 years later, Malachi is fulfilled, and the silence is over. And of course, our advent begins. I think there is a difference between waiting and waiting with uncertainty. Does that make sense? I think there's a difference between just waiting for something and then waiting with a certain amount of of uncertainty to it. 
we wait for Christmas to come on December the 25th. There is a date, and we wait for that. And whether you're a kid and it goes slow, or whether you're an adult and it goes far too quickly, ultimately, we're going to get to the 25th. Of course, it is 2020, and who knows what's going to happen between now and that. But the point is that we know that we're waiting for something to come. Ancient Israel, on the other hand, awaited a savior of some type to arrive at some unknown time, and we kind of had some idea maybe the location, but that was it. There's a lot of uncertainty. It's open-ended. The 25th of December is closed-ended, but ancient Israel waited 400 years with uncertainty. What does that do to you? What does that do to a person? Uncertainty is the wild card, so to speak, in all of this. This open-endedness when you're waiting for something. It's almost like, well, here's what it reminds me of. It's like, when you're um, in one of those uh, circumstances where you watch a young man and a young lady and they're somewhere very public and he makes the marriage proposal and you wonder, is she gonna say yes? And he's wondering, you, you know, you think you wanna know, the guy down on one knee, that 30 seconds is lasting forever because there's uncertainty to it. She's going to say yes. Okay, maybe another example. Maybe it's more like when you make an offer on a house and there's a lot of uncertainty to it. Are they going to say yes? Are they going to say no? What's it going to be? And you don't hear anything and you don't hear anything. You do it. Well, something's got to be wrong. If I'm not hearing anything, it's not an easy, right? Or maybe you had one of those job interviews where you just crushed it. You're like, yes, it was awesome. All right, we'll be in touch. And you're like, yes, that's great. And a couple days go by. And a couple more days. And a couple more days. And you're waiting because there's uncertainty there. Those types of moments are more stressful than having a date in mind that you know that's coming up. Does that make sense? Uncertainty creates a great deal of stress. We are either uncertain of the actual answer that's going to come our way or the timing in which it's going to come or a combination of the two. And it's very easy to be anxious and it's very easy to be distressed. In fact, I would say anxiousness is expected in those types of circumstances. At least I think so. So, Perhaps maybe you've asked God for something. Maybe, um, maybe not directly. Maybe it's not something where you've actually, you know, got down on your knees and folded your hands and said, oh God, please give me, maybe not. Maybe it's just something in the quietness of your own heart. Something that, um, that you really want and you're almost afraid to voice it. But at the same time, you're waiting and you're hoping for some type of an answer. You know, I believe that God will answer. Now, it may not be the answer that you're expecting. At least not exactly. 
But I know that he's going to answer, and I know it's going to be good. That's the difference. It's not just the answer, but the answer is going to be good, and it's going to be worth the wait. Even if it's not what you expected, it's still going to be good. It's still going to be worth the wait. You may not be able to see it at the time, but that's the type of God that we serve. And my confidence comes from the story that we're going to recount again over the next few weeks. That Israel was uncertain and it waited. And when it came, it was not what they expected, but it was good. It was very good. It was Jesus, long awaited, not what was expected at all, but good in ways that we could not have possibly imagined and are still experiencing to this very day. So my encouragement to you um, today and for the next week or month, frankly, is to live with the thought that the same God who seemed silent for 400 years was preparing a big surprise. A really big surprise. You need to own that, church. You need to own the fact that the silence of 400 years was simply God preparing. He needed that time, apparently, to create something that big. Now, God can do whatever he wants to do, but maybe that's a good way for us to think about it. And we need to own that. And to say, no, 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 the waiting was worth it, even though we didn't understand it at the time, even though our, our ancestors didn't get it. They, they, they didn't see it for what it was, but now we can. Think on it, meditate on it, spend some time on that. Even when you go to lunch today, be thinking about, wait, what is, what, what, what is this all about? Sometimes the waiting is worth it in ways we don't understand. And and the other thing I want you to, to own and to think about over the next few weeks is that when God was preparing the surprise, you were on his mind where you are today. And all that anxiousness that you're feeling and all of that stress of the holiday season what are we going to eat? What, am I, what are we going to buy? How are we going to get the gifts done? How are we going to not eat all the cookies in the house before we give them away, right? All of those things. All of that anxiousness. All of that waiting. All of the things that you're doing. God had you on his mind from the very beginning. He spent eternity thinking about you. That's a big surprise for a lot of folks. And yet, that same God who had you in mind still has you on his mind and still wants to hang out with you and to connect with you for you to be in his presence so that he can do the work that only he can do. Let's pray. Lord, I love this time of year helps me remember some important things. It helps me remember um, that people have waited and suffered <laughs> far worse than I have. And yet at the end of their waiting, 
something so incredibly good that we still talk about it today. And my prayer, Lord, is over this group of people, whether they're in, in the theater here or whether they're watching in their own living rooms, that they would lean into you a little bit more this season. It's been a strange year. And yet, you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. No, we don't always understand everything, but you are good, and you have our best interest at heart always. So my prayer, Lord, is that every person would feel your presence a little more mm, intimately, maybe, this holiday season than they have in a while. I'm looking forward to what you're going to do through all of this. Because I believe you are a redeemer and a restorer. And we get to witness all of that firsthand. Lord, bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.